We'll be reading from Judges 10, verse 17 through 11, 13. And I'm borrowing Kenny's Bible because my phone let me down last time. When the Ammonites were called to arms and camped in Gilead, the Israelites assembled and camped at Mizpah. The leaders of the people of Gilead said to each other, Whoever will take the lead in attacking the Ammonites will be head over all who live in Gilead. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them, and he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against me that you have come and attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers, when Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan, now give it back peaceably. Amen. It's God's word. Morning, everybody. Let's get Joanna a hand. Thank you, Joanna. Hi, everyone. My name's Kenny. If we haven't met, uh, one of the pastors here. So glad to have you here with us. And uh, I don't know if anyone noticed, we had about 85 children in here about two minutes ago. That was awesome, man. It was cool just seeing all the all the kids enjoying themselves and worshiping and uh, some running back and forth, you know, you know, we're, we're somewhat Pentecostal here, so that's okay. Um, no, but uh, glad to be, glad to be with you all. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. I get an amen on that? Yeah. And his mercy endures forever. Thankful for God's mercy. As we are uh, continuing our series on Judges, we're going to be looking at the story of Jephthah, who is the the fifth major judge out of six judge stories that are in the whole book. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. But um, anyone ever play basketball when you're growing up? Yeah? Okay. We got some some ballers out here. Um, I, uh, I was totally into basketball as a kid. I just loved it. I know I don't seem like... If you know me, I don't seem like super athletic, but at one point I was. And, um, but I, there was something that happened when I, when I got into the teenage years with basketball where I realized, and I don't know if this was true or not, but I thought in my head that if I played good at basketball while a particular girl or group of girls were in the vicinity, that if, if, my, game, if my game was good, that I would gain their attention, Right? Um, and, and 
I don't know if it ever worked, but but all of a sudden, you know what you know what happens when that when that goes on? All of a sudden, basketball is not about basketball anymore. You know what I mean? It's about it's the thing behind the thing. It's like I want their attention, so I'm gonna play basketball to try to get their attention. And uh, you know, I've learned some things from that, but um, how many know sometimes we're slow learners? <laughs> Um, uh, case in point, uh, I've been married for almost two years to my lovely wife, Hannah, and uh, we, we kind of had a, a, a funny argument that um, happened repeatedly, uh, probably in our first year, year and a half of marriage, where, you know, we would be, you know, in a heated discussion, and, uh, and I would be, feel, I, I guess I would be feeling unappreciated, and the phrase that came out of my mouth because every morning I would wake up and I would make us both coffee, right? And, uh, I mean, I was really making it for me, but I was also making her coffee, right? And in, a, in, the, in the heat of the battle, I said, but I made you coffee. <laughs> and uh, clearly my heart was betrayed for what it really is, because it really wasn't about me making her coffee. It was about me wanting the recognition from that and the leverage of, hey, I made you coffee while you slept the extra five minutes, you know, um, but the reason I bring both of those things up is because um, often uh, I've found that, that I do and I think we do something like that in our relationship with God and the way we connect with God because it, sometimes we can be stuck in this trap or this belief that we're going to do things for God. But if we're really honest and our motivations kind of gotten covered, we're really kind of doing it for ourselves. Um, any, anyone with me? Anyone felt that before? And, and, and I would say, even if you're here today and you're not a believer, I would say that there's still an aspect of that going on. Sometimes it shows up in, you know, I just feel like I, God wants me to be a good person, right? And if I'm a good person, then when I die, I'm probably going to go to heaven. Um, or, or maybe if you don't believe that, maybe you believe in karma, and it's, I'm going to be good so that good is going to come back around to me. We're tracking? But when, if you are a Christian, it, 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 that kind of thinking um, creeps in, too, where you're doing things for God, but you're not really doing things for God. It, uh, it can be with your devotional time, um, where, where, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to be honest like, with me, like, uh, I got to know, I got I to, gotta, <laughs> I'm just going to close my eyes and preach. Uh, no, so uh, sometimes we can fall in the trap of, I'm going to spend a devotional time with God, and there's some kind of spiritual points in there, you know, because I put the time in, right? Or because I put it on Instagram. Ouch. Ow. Um, or it can, be, it can be with all sorts of things. It can be with giving to God. I'm give faithfully. And so whether it's said out loud externally or just felt kind of internally, I feel like God owes me something. For the things that I'm doing for him. We say we're doing things for God. But we're not really doing them for God. And what we end up doing. If we're honest with ourselves. Is a little bit of. Um, a little bit of bargaining with God. In order to get the thing that we think we really want. Um, uh, 
Anyone feel me on that? Been there? We end up bargaining with God to get what we think we really want. And, and, and I'm here to tell you today, and the story is going to show today, I think we're going to see that in Jephthah's story. That's not a good way to live. Instead of really bringing us into life and bringing us into joy and, and us being full of God's blessings and just grateful for everything he's done for us, that, that way of bargaining with God leads us to feel entitled or to feel like God owes me something for all that I did for him. Or, and it changes the way, it's not just us and God, it changes the way we interact with each other. We're going to see that story too. It, instead of appreciating others for, uh, for them being made in the image of God and, and the beautiful people that each one of the people uh, is in our lives, we begin to, either if we're going through problems, we can blame others. Oh, that's their fault. Or we can, if we're not going through problems, we can just look at other people in ways to use them. In ways that say, are you going to help me get what I really want? You see that? We do it with God. Are you going to help me get what I really want? Whether it's um, good health or good finances or whatever it may be. And we can say that to other people. I spoke with a friend in New York the other day, and he, and he used to live here, and he was just saying, man, I'm just, I just can't get over it. It just seems like everyone I meet, we're, everyone's trying to get something out of me, right? They, they're just trying to peg me in the first few minutes. What can you do to help me get where I need to be? You know what I mean? That's the kind of thing that we do when we're bargaining with God for what we want instead of treasuring God for who he is. I done and gave you the whole sermon right there. Is that all right? <laughs> Maybe we'll just expound on that for a few minutes. Uh, we have a, a, a captive audience in here. Um, but no, that, that's what I want to look at. How can we move from um, any of the ways in which we're bargaining with God for the things we think we really want and move toward treasuring God for who he is and finding that he's, he's all we really need and he's more than what we really want. Amen? And so the story of Jephthah gives us a view into this struggle that I believe all of us face from time to time. Maybe you've already faced it and you have some victory in it or maybe you're just kind of coming aware of it and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now. Um, the word of God was given to us to teach us and to, uh, and to help us with this struggle. So um, I, I, I want to look back at that. We're going to be in Judges chapter 11, uh, um, most of today that, that Joanna read from. But as we do, I, I just want to say another quick word of prayer, just that, that, um, that God would guide this time and uh, that he would speak through me and just that we, as a group here today, would just be open to wherever the Lord uh, may lead us. Is that all right? You would just, just pray with me. Um, Father, we, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that, that each one of the people here has set aside, Lord, to, to come and enjoy your presence, to honor you with this first day of the week, to remember you, uh, to remember the joy we have in you. God, I pray that you would use this time that we have together, God. Pray that you would use this sermon, that this um, wouldn't, wouldn't just be words, wouldn't just be ideas, but Holy Spirit, that you would apply it to our hearts. God, I pray you'd help, help me to get out of the way. I pray that you would speak through me. Holy Spirit, I pray that, that you would do with your word what only you can do, God. And we believe you and we trust you to do that work. 
Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. 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 So Judges 11 um, that Joanna read, we meet Jephthah. He's the new hero. Uh, um, What we skipped in chapter 10 was the beginning of another cycle where it says that Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and they forsook him. And then it says that they worship these other gods and it lists off seven gods this time that they went off that they, weren't, they were supposed to break down these altars, if you remember the first few sermons. But now they're worshiping the gods that they were supposed to break down their altars. They're sacrificing there, right? And then God, because he loves them and he wants what's best for them, he allows them to be, the word here is sold into oppression to the people of the gods that they're worshiping. We tracking? And so they're sold into oppression. It says they were shattered and crushed and they were oppressed for 18 years, and then they cry out to the Lord in this all-familiar cycle that we talked about. But, but God challenges them, because they cry out and say, we have sinned. Um, will you redeem us? Right? I'm paraphrasing very loosely. Like, <laughs> the whole point is for you to go read it, right? But we've sinned, and they come before him, and, and, and God responds to them and says, he goes, I was there, I, I was there, I delivered you out of Egypt, I delivered you out. He goes down and he lists seven times <laughs> he's delivered them. The, the list of false gods they worshipped is as long as the list of the times that God has redeemed him. And then he says this, I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods that you're worshipping. Let them save you. Woo! Oh, man. That's another sermon right there. We're just like stepping over sermons. To get to the main point. Um, but then they come back and it says that they really repented. So, so there's a worldly repentance where you're just sorry for the situation you're in. I'm sorry because of what this did to me. And there's a godly repentance where you're sorry for the sin. And you're sorry for what the sin did to God. Is that tracking? And so they come back and they say, we, we were wrong and we will worship you alone and do with us as you wish but we just ask that you rescue us. And then it ends that section and says that God could no longer stand their misery. How many are thankful for a God who is compassionate when we're weak? And so the stage is set for God to redeem them again. And so enter Jephthah. Sorry, You guys try saying it. Jephthah. Enter Jephthah in verse 1, the Gileadite, and it says his father was Gilead, uh, presumably a prominent man in this community, in this area, and then it says his mother was a prostitute. And in this time, that, that would have mean that he is a social outcast because of who his mom is. And that's what she read in the story. He grows up, and his half-brothers say, you have a different mom than us. You have no place in our family. So we're pushing you out of our family, we're pushing you out of our town, and we're pushing you out of your inheritance, right? So, so far, our judge, the person who God's going to use to deliver Israel, we're seeing the places where he's hurt, the places where he's been damaged by others around him. And then, did you guys, I don't know if you guys noticed this, when they're in trouble, though, so he, he goes out there, and he, he's in the land of Tob, and he has a band of scoundrels around him. Um, another translation says adventurers, so 
Is that the same? I don't know. <laughs> Adventure scoundrels? I don't know. But some, some, some interpreters say it, it, almost kind of like a crime boss. Like he's the head honcho and he's got people around him, you know, taking care of stuff and paying tribute, right? So he's become a mighty warrior and they come out to him and say, will you lead us? We need to deliver. Will you lead us? And he says, um, I'm going to stop paraphrasing and actually read. Um, he says this, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? You see, there's a little bit of mirror with the last chapter and God's conversation with the Israelites. And this conversation There's a little bit of back and forth. And then the elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. You got us. We did that. But we're really in trouble. <laughs> Would you please help us? And then he says, well, suppose I do. Well, I get to be your leader. And he said, yeah, you'll be our leader. And they said, well, how do I know? Like we promise, the Lord is our witness. You'll be our leader. And they swear him in. And I read all that to give you a little backstory to show you the thing behind the thing, to show you what Jephthah really wanted. He really wanted to belong in his family. He really wanted to belong in his land. And he really wanted an inheritance to pass down. That's what we see. But at this point, the story kind of takes a turn that I want to warn you before we read it is one of the heaviest, darkest passages I know of in Scripture. All right? So are we going to go there together? <laughs> Adventure with me, you scoundrels. Um, so he, he writes a letter. You know, the, the pen is mightier than the sword, supposed to be. He writes a letter to the king of Ammon and says, we shouldn't be going to war. Um, and then I'm going to come in on the end of that letter. And he says, verse 27, I think we have it, uh, Marco. says, I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Interesting side fact. That is the Hebrew singular for a judge. It's the only time that word is used in the entire book, and it's of the Lord. That the Lord is our true judge. The Lord is our true ruler. And all these other judges that we have are kind of faulty heroes with their own broken flaws, right? Verse 28, the king of Ammon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. And in this book, what that means is God empowered him for the the feat of delivering the Israelites that he was about to accomplish. So at this point, if we've been reading the book, we should know that the, the victory is guaranteed to Jephthah. Okay? And he should know that too. Because he's living in this time where these judges are being empowered to save God's people. So the Spirit of the Lord comes, uh, comes on Jephthah. But the other thing is, it's not an endorsement of everything that the judge does from that point on. It's an empowerment to accomplish God's purpose, but it's not, a, I mean, if you guys remember Gideon and, and Dale preaching last week, he, he, a lot of times God's heroes can mess up really bad. Okay, we all tracking? He crossed Gilead and Manasseh and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and there, from there he advanced against the Ammonites, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. This is where he messes up. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return and triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Verse 32, 
Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He devastated 20 towns from Arorer. <laughs> if you can do better, actually, probably some of you can. Um, Aror, um, to the vicinity of Mineth, as far as Abel Karamim. Thus Israel subdued Ammon. Right? So he got the victory. He got what he wanted. Then when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Dancing to the sound of timbrels. She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry, which would have been a tragedy in her day. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. And she and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after the two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he vowed. As he had vowed. And she was a virgin. Why are we preaching on this? What just happened? Why is that in God's word? Well, for one thing. There's a lot that's in God's word that God's word is not a bunch of moral examples that we need to copy. It's a it's a bunch of pictures of how messed up we are without God and how much we need him. Right. And and the reason we're preaching on it is because there's ways that this points to the glorious news of Jesus Christ that we have and that we share. And so as we look at this today, first Corinthians 10 said that said that now these things occurred as examples. This is things that happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. They occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on the evil things that they did. And so I want to just look for the, for the rest of our message at a few lessons that we can, that we can learn from this horrible story of, of Jephthah. And, and I, before I go there, I do want to say that some, some scholars, some interpreters say, well, we don't really know what he did. He doesn't say that he killed his daughter. Um, maybe he dedicated her to the temple so that she, so to live a celibate life. Um, and some people say that. But the plainest reading, and, and most scholars and interpreters would read it and say, no, it, it looks like he intended to make a human sacrifice. He probably just didn't think it would be his daughter. Right? So if we look at it from that lens... First of all, I just have to say, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is dark. This is not God's will. This is against God's will. <laughs> Human sacrifice <laughs> is strongly condemned <laughs> in the Bible, in case I need to tell anyone that. <laughs> right? But Jephthah should have known this because this was in the law of Moses. This is in Leviticus. This is in Deuteronomy. Don't offer a human sacrifice. God hates it. It is detestable before God. It is never acceptable. And so one of the first things we see is that Jephthah, even though he's walking with faith in God, he, somehow he's more influenced by the culture around him than by the word of God. Because Ammon, who they were about to fight, 
They did sacrifice their children to their gods. It was around him. This is the air he's breathing. So the, the first thing that we can learn is look at it and say, we can claim to know God, but not really know God's heart at all. Or not really know the grace of God at all. I mean, Jephthah know it was a sin to break a vow, but this is a bigger sin to keep this vow. He didn't even realize, I don't even have to go through with this. No concept of the grace of God. Jesus warned us of a similar thing. He said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. The first lesson we can learn is about blind spots. We look at the story of Jetha and we see that is a glaring blind spot. <laughs> Anyone just admit that with me? Like, <laughs> like, what did you, did you read this? Did you know? As I said, he was more affected by the cultures around him than by the scriptures. And we clearly see it as horrible. We clearly see it as his blind spot. But would I say that we should humbly look at it because that was the culture he grew up in. It was the air he breathed. And we ought to read this story and humbly ask God, where are my blind spots? Where might my blind spots in the faith be? God, let me not have the, the chronological snobbery to look down my nose at the mistakes of people in the past and, and, and not see the plank in my own eye. Is that all right? There are Christians around the world today that would question how the Christians in the West, that's us, can justify the amount of money we spend on ourselves. There are, there are Christians around the world today that look at Christians in the West and question how can their ideas on sexuality be so based in the culture and not based in God's word. There are our ancient Christian brothers and sisters who, who used to be known for going out to the hills and finding babies that were abandoned to die on the mountain because that was their way of doing abortion. And they would bring them in and, and raise them up so that they would have life because they knew that God is the author of life and that we're made in the image of God. And those Christian brothers and sisters in our ancient past would look at us and say, how can we have so many Christians that are pro-abortion? We gave our lives to save them. And I'm not trying to get on any political hobby horse or take any kind of, you guys know me, you know I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to say is, can we look at this passage and say, what are the blind spots in my heart, God? What are the, what are the things that are just part of the air I'm breathing that is not informed by you and your word and by your Holy Spirit leading me? Amen? Amen. Is culture shaping us or is scripture? Because if we allow ourselves to be shaped more by the culture we're in than by God's word, then we run the same risk of having just as big of blind spots. may not be human sacrifice, but it'll be something. And so we look at the scriptures humbly today. 
and we mourn the vow. And we mourn how dark this passage is, but we also learn um, what is going on in Jephthah's heart. What's the thing behind the thing that he wanted? And that's where we see Jephthah was bargaining with God. So this practice... You guys ready? <laughs> this practice that Jephthah did was actually common in that day. So it was a way that war generals, they would go out before battle, and it was a way that they would try to secure the victory, right? And it was a way, pledging some kind of sacrifice or a human sacrifice to the God of their choice was a way of saying, look how much I'm willing to give for you to say how powerful you are. Now give me the victory, and I'll do this for you. So Jephthah didn't make this up. This is what he has seen around him. And he's about to go to battle. And he should have known that God is already going to give him the victory. But because he really wanted something out of this, he says, if you give me a victory and if I return home safely, I'm going to make this sacrifice for you. Jephthah was attempting to secure his desired outcome by bargaining with God. Do you guys see that? And, and in a way, Jephthah was trying to play God just like I was trying to play basketball. Back in the intro. <laughs> back in the intro. Back 20 years ago, but <laughs> back in the intro too. In the way, Jephthah was trying to play God like I was trying to make coffee. <laughs> and be like, but I made you coffee, so don't I get some appreciation? Right? We do the same thing in a million ways. We do the same thing. We, and it may not be externally. We may not say it out loud like Jephthah did. And it usually doesn't show up when we don't see it until we don't get what we want. And then we realize, oh, wait, I was. God, why didn't you give me this? Because I made this sacrifice. I did this with my life. I gave you this. I changed the way I was living here. Why, why isn't it easier now? Anyone with me? As long as 20% are still with me, I'll keep going. <laughs> Whew! All right, so, so maybe it would help to hear a, a little bit of a story, and, and maybe it would help to hear why I can um, passionately speak about this today, because I've done this, and I've seen this happen in my life. Um, a few years ago, probably six years ago, I was in... A season of burnout. Anyone ever been there? <laughs> Where you just like, you can't go on. You're so tired. You, you have the physical energy, but it's just not there. It's not happening. And I was in a season of burnout related to ministry. And um, some of you already, already know this. Um, some of you already know this story and were there during that. Um, but... You know, I started asking a lot of questions, and I, and I started looking at, well, why am I so disappointed, or why am I burnt out? And I think I, I realized that there was there was a there was a a time in my life when God called me into ministry, and and when God called me into ministry, that was not my plan. I had other plans, okay, and and I was going to go into the family business with with my dad and my brother. I was going to 
I was planning to go to optometry school. I was getting ready to do it. And yet when God called me, it was this very clear sense of no, not that, and yes, this. And I said yes to God. And I didn't realize till years later when I was in the season of burnout that there was part of me that was expecting God to reward that yes in the way that I want it. Does that make sense? There was part of me that was saying, that was saying, well, God, I gave up that, that consistent income that I thought I was going to have. <laughs> and, and God, I gave up that, that retirement plan and that plan for my career for the next 45 years to not knowing what I was going to do in four months. So the least you can do is make me uh, successful in what I'm trying to do. I mean, it's for you, right? And I'm sorry if this is too personal. I'm trying to let you into my heart. And maybe through seeing into that, maybe God would say something to you today. Is that okay? But I realized in that season of burnout, when I was frustrated with ministry, man, it's not, it's not growing like I want it to. It's not successful like I want it to. And, and pretty soon I'm feeling like God owed me. I'm having a different opinion of the people that I'm ministering to and ministering with. And I was burnt out. And um, I know Vince and Nancy helped me walk through that. And, and uh, Jeff Garner was here um, in town. Many of you heard him speak a few months ago. And, um, but he, was, he came down um, during that season. And we kind of talked through it. And I kind of bore my heart with him as the ministry was further along. And I remember we had a great conversation. But there was something that came down to the end of it where it was distilled. And it and, and Jeff said something like this, Kenny, Jesus loves you too much to allow himself to just be a means to an end. He loves you too much to let you make him in just to the means to get what you really want. He is the means and the end. He's the one who's worth it. This is all for him. He's the, he's the treasure. Not these other things that you think you want. <laughs> That's not the treasure. He's the treasure. Anyone with me? Jesus is the treasure. And when I heard that through the process of prayer and through the process of God speaking to me through his word and through people around me, I began to be encouraged. And I, well, I began to repent. I began to say, God, what have I done? What have I done? All that I could offer you is just, is just filthy rags before you. It's not about what I can do for you. It's about what you have done for me. Hmm. It's not about me building up some kind of success. It's me walking into your success. Your finished work and resting in you, not striving for me. Amen? Because when, when, we're, when we're doing what we're doing for God, for something else, then we start to feel like God owes us. Or I'm entitled to that blessing that God gave me. But when we're doing what we're doing because we treasure Him, then we just are overflowing with gratitude. We're just filled up because of what He's done for us. Amen? And when we're doing what we're doing for ourselves or for, to, to get our desired outcome, 
It changes our relationship with people. We blame, we use. Look at Jephthah. When, when his daughter runs out to him, he says, Oh, my daughter, you... Let me see what he says. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. No, she didn't. You brought yourself down. But that's how blinded we get. We start blaming other people for our problems. Blaming other people for the rest we want, where we should be getting it in God. We start looking at people as problems to be solved instead of people to be loved. Gifts that God's given us in our life. And we say, oh no, you brought me down. When we're bargaining with God to get what we really want, we, what we're trying to do is save our life, but we end up losing it. One of the uh, interpreters I read this week studying for this talks about the irony of this story that what Jephthah wanted was an inheritance to pass on. He wanted to be welcomed back into the community and to his family. And yet, because he tried to finagle to get it his way and tried to use God for that, he actually cut himself off from it. I mean, yeah, he got the victory and God used him to set Israel free, but in him trying to secure his own life, he actually threw it away. Is that making sense? Does that sound like what Jesus tells us? That if you want to save your life, you'll lose it, but if you lose it for my sake and for the gospel, you will find it? Jesus is the most precious thing. Jesus is the treasure who will satisfy your soul. No one else. Nothing else. And Jesus did not come preaching a gospel of wish fulfillment. He preached a gospel of soul fulfillment. And, and, and the church today is full of people who want to preach to you that God is here to fulfill your wishes but we're not going to preach that here. We're going to preach that Jesus is here to fulfill your soul. And that when you give up what you're trying to grasp and hold on to and finagle your way into and bargain with God for, when you give it up to him, he is going to fill you up with more than what you wanted in the first place. Whew. Just... Synchronized woos right there. <laughs> Woo. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And that's what Jephthah missed. But, but Jesus said it this way when we talk about treasure. Matthew 13, we have it up there. Jesus said this parable in one verse. <laughs> the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Jesus is the treasure. And when you begin to see him for who he is, you, I don't need the other stuff. Let me sell it so that I can get what I really want, which is Jesus. Amen?
And he says in the next verse, it's like a, a, a merchant who found a pearl of great price. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Because Jesus is our treasure. Hmm. When we treasure him, he secures for us an inheritance that will not perish or spoil or fade. Come on, somebody. Paul said it this way in Philippians, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Japheth tried to use God for what he wanted, but he didn't know God. And Paul is saying, everything that I used to want, everything that I used to count as an asset is now a liability. For the sake of what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Anyone like the King James? Dung. I consider them dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. When we bargain with God, we lose what we treasure. But when we treasure God, we get more than we bargain for. When we move from bargaining with God to get what we think we want to treasuring Jesus, instead of, instead of feeling entitled, we feel grateful. We feel full. We are enjoying God and His blessings. We move from feeling like God owes us to having every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Ephesians 1 and everything we need for life and godliness in 1 Peter 1. And instead of using others in, our, in this church body or or people in our families, or people at our work, instead of using others and blaming others, we enjoy others and we serve others as a picture of how much we've been served. And Jesus told his disciples in Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. When you begin to treasure Jesus, the things you do for God will really be for God. <laughs> Instead of anxiously trying to secure our desired outcome, we have rest in the glorious outcome that Jesus has secured for us on the cross. Amen? And as much as I know this and as much as I proclaim it, I, I, have a, I have an inkling that you may be like me and I forget this too. And I fall back often and like Jephthah, I still try to bargain with God to get what I think I really want and what's going to make me happy. In a way, I'm inviting God to try to help me worship the idols in my heart. And because of God's grace and because of God's love, he's not going to do that. He might even say, yeah, go ahead and cry out to that God. See if it'll save you. 
but because of God's grace. What, what pulls us close? What grabs us out of that trap of treasuring the wrong things and bargaining with God for them? It's at least one picture of it is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says it so succinctly. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The supreme treasure... The, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the supreme treasure who's worthy of all worship, treasured you. Treasured you enough to give it up. You know what he really wanted? He really wanted you to be reconciled with God. He really wanted you to know the freedom that comes from relishing and treasuring and glorying in God. Amen? And he didn't just bargain to get that. He sacrificed. He gave up his life. Though he was rich, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He sacrificed to secure you. And if you are in him, if your faith is in Jesus, you are secure in his hand. And no one can take you out of his hand. His desired outcome has been accomplished and will be accomplished. And his grace has been extended to you. And only when we see that and when we relish in that, when we let it speak to us and wash over us, then our hearts are warmed and we begin to worship and we begin to treasure Jesus. And it doesn't matter what happens to us. It doesn't matter what we used to count as gain and we don't, we don't get it. We know that we have everything in Christ. We know that we have joy. We know that we have light no matter what darkness we may face. Amen? Amen. Amen. The band can come up. We're going to end here in just a moment. I want to close this out with... Uh, with prayer, and then we'll give a few instructions as we close out the service today. If you would uh, bow your heads and just, just pray with me. Good and gracious Father, we thank you. We thank you for sustaining us, for holding us. We thank you for the breath that we've borrowed from you today. Lord, we thank you for your grace extended to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the love that you've made known to us in the face of Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here with us, within us. And God, I ask right now that the next few moments of this uh, 
this church gathering. Lord, that it would not just be like any other moments of the day, but that it would be marked and signed by your presence. Lord, I pray that each one of us, we would not harden our hearts and and let the truth kind of bounce off the edges of our heart, Lord, but let us be pierced. God, let us be cut with your scalpel that cuts us in order to heal us. Lord, and, and if there's people right here today that are hearing this and, and, and are trying to find ways to not apply it to their heart, I just, I just pray that I just pray that you would open up. Pray that you would open up to the Lord right now. You would invite the Lord to do surgery on your heart because he brings healing. That you would let the kindness of God lead you to repentance and that you would experience his grace because his blood was poured out for you on the cross. His body was broken for you. And he, though he was buried, he did not stay buried. He rose again in victory so that you could know this hope, so that you could know this truth, so that you could have this treasure that we carry around in earthen vessels, in clay pots as our bodies are. I want to thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak right now. Holy Spirit, empower, encourage, convict, strengthen. Bless this time we dedicate it to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.